Hey there, and welcome to the fourth episode of Industry Town. Today's guest is a dear friend and a phenomenal actress, Sarah Fletcher, who is currently starring in the Lifetime movie about the Nexium cult as Allison Mack. We are going to deep dive on that episode, that story, that character for the first half, and then we're going to get into the rest of Sarah's career and her point of view that I think is really practical and super inspiring. We're going to talk about how she stays creative, how saying yes can pay the bills, and what happens when you wear a green turtleneck to a green screen audition. Two notes about this episode. This episode is going to be a Between Two Beers episode. I'm sure that will make sense soon if it doesn't already. Many thanks to Kara for keeping our glasses full. Also, this episode has an extra sponsor, Horrible Haikus, everyone's favorite offensive poetry game, the party game where you get to create and perform beautiful poetry with horrifying words. I personally love this game. I was honored to test it out at my bachelor party. It's like next generation Cards Against Humanity, and I can't recommend it enough. And we are lucky because the guys behind it were happy to give us a few copies to give away to early listeners. So, for the first five people to tag this episode on Instagram and Twitter, we're going to mail you a copy of that game. Okay, enough chit-chat. Thank you to Sarah. Thank you to presenting sponsor John Rosenfeld Studios. And let's get to it. Lock it up. Very quiet and still. Ready. Scene one, take three, A mark. Okay, we are live. Welcome to Industry Town, Sarah Woo! Fletcher. Thank you for being here. And it's funny that I'm saying thank you for being here because <laughs> this is a road game for me. This is my first away game in the podcast season. Really? I'm at your house. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. Thank you. Thank so you. I, I know. It's unfamiliar territory, so I figured this is the moment yeah. to introduce another idea I've been wanting to have for certain special episodes. Yes. And it's called... I can't wait. Not Between Two Ferns. Okay. But Between <gasps> Two Beers. Oh, it is foaming. It's uh, Oh, God. <laughs> I didn't open mine. I'm still finishing my other one. She's got two, ladies and gentlemen. I have two. I have one, by the way. You can't see this. I feel like it's a little overkill, but it is. <laughs> you know those wine? It's like a wine koozie. It's a wine cooler bag, and I have a beer inside of it. So but that's. I mean, it's a, it's a big beer. It's a big beer. I like my beers big. So earlier, uh, your husband asked how long he had to be quiet. How long is the podcast going to be? <laughs> and the answer is when we're done drinking these beers. I like that idea. So, Sarah, yes. you recently were one of the leads in a Lifetime movie. I was. What's the title of that movie? It's called uh, Escape from Nexium. Uh, and it's called Escape from Nexium. <laughs> Actually, it's it's a very long title. And I want to get it right because there were multiple titles. Escape from Nexium, A Mother's... Escape the Nexium Cult, A Mother's Fight to Save Her Daughter. I apologize because we had multiple titles that we went through when we were shooting. It was Captive at one point. It was... Nexium project it was there were like 15,000 titles so I I should know the exact title and that's I'm a terrible human based on the shocking memoir captive by Catherine Oxenberg I will be a better person as a result of this what they thought would save them <laughs> became their worst nightmare are you ready for your Nexium transformation yes master Escaping the Nexium Cult, a mother's fight to save her daughter. Saturday, September 21st at 8 on Lifetime. Who do you play? 
I play Allison Mack. Allison Mack from Smallville? That's correct. Allison Mack from Smallville, which is pretty wild. So what does uh, someone who's a series regular on Smallville have to do with a cult? And what kind of cult is this? Tell us about Nexium and Allison Mack. Okay, so if you want to really know about Nexium, because there is so much to uncover with all of it, um, there's a really great CBC podcast that Sarah Edmondson, who was in Nexium, she... Uh, is interviewed by an old friend of hers and it's this really honest podcast about what Nexium was or there are hundreds and hundreds of articles you can read all about it in detail but the gist of it is Nexium was self-help classes that were started by Keith uh, um, Rainier Rainier uh, I think Ranieri technically is the correct pronunciation. I'm really bad I with pronunciation. I have a couple last names on this podcast already, so this just might be a motif. That's okay. Right now you have two jogs above you judging you, so I just every time... I don't know if... No one can see this, but our, my dog who passed and my curtain dog, there's a picture of them. It's not just a picture, guys. It's like a charcoal like portrait almost like the way jack draws rose in titanic <laughs> it is. but it's two dogs it's brad's uncle my husband's uncle drew those he's actually a phenomenal dog artist that makes it sound like he's a dog who does art it does it he's does. not a dog who does leave art. the story right there that's it that's perfect done he's a dog artist okay, so next it was originally like a multi-level marketing correct it was an mlm and they you would t- you could take classes. Classes were highly expensive. It I believe the starting level was like twenty five hundred to five thousand, something like that. Um, and you would go to like a workshop class, and then they would be like, "Come take our classes. You should sign up." If so you what's wrong with basic classes that are slightly overpriced? They're self help. I mean, I mean nothing. And that's the point is that I think a lot of people who took, especially like the lower level stuff. I don't want to speak for people who were part of Nexium. Um, they got something out of it. I think that that was absolutely the case. I mean, I think that like if you listen to anybody or read anything that was has any interviews with anybody who was in it is that they 100% that's what got you in further is that they they were they were it was it was a positive thing in their lives. And then I think the further in and the deeper you got, I mean, I I think there's a missell in saying that Nexium itself was the cult because ultimately it was a small faction of people that were part of sort of the um that were part of the sex cult that you hear about, which was called DOS, which is uh, Dominus Obsequius Sororium. Get into Latin. Yep, exactly. Well, I mean, you know, if you're going to have Speaking my dead language. <laughs> so what does that mean? Uh, dominant over submissive. Okay, so somehow we've gotten really far from perfectly normal Correct. classes for self-help yes. to um, dom-sub Latin sex cult talk. Right, okay, so here's what happened. People took Nexium classes. Keith had this sort of grand plan uh, that he was going to, that he was this guru. People looked at him as a guru. Um, there were a lot of people around who were very wealthy who helped um, further his doctrine, you could say. I guess you could call it doctrine. And as you continued in it, you would take, you would kind of level up with the classes. And eventually there was then a women's program and a men's program. The women's program was called Jeunesse. The men's program was called SOP, which is Society of Protectors, uh, which unfortunately, when you sort of got to that level at that point, you kind of had already been in the classes. You kind of had already been sort of, um, I think, groomed to get that far. And then those classes, they sort of start to detail how men and women function differently, which was Keith's sort of perspectives on that. And, and Keith, it, just to, I believe you've told me that he was freakishly smart. So when we hear all these things and they sound, this is a man with like a shockingly high IQ, right? That was that was the sell on him. I don't want to like misspeak 
from the facts because I've read so much information and I don't know exact, you know what I mean? Like I didn't, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not, you know what I mean? This is just the research that I've personally done. But my understanding is that Keith, yes, was highly intelligent, but that also the idea that he had this insane IQ, that he took an IQ test at home is, I believe, <laughs> what I think the actual truth of the matter was. So that was. might be part of the legend and not actually correct. Correct. So I don't know for sure. I'm not doubting that he had, I mean, I think that you have to have some level of intelligence to convince so many people of of something so wild. Um and then, yeah, so then eventually, you know, you got into these classes where the Jeunesse program and the SOP program, they were, um, I mean, they were like very misogynistic teachings. I mean, you can, in the movie, the the things that we say are actual verbatim things taken from transcript from court. Um, Men are more loyal than women. When a man cheats, he goes back to his wife. When a woman cheats, she tends to transfer her affections. I yeah. feel like I remember watching television and seeing you I did smiling. Say that. I did say that. And telling us that. I know. That was really, that's a hot, tough pill to swallow. That's a hard thing to say. I believe it. So let's, let's get into that. So we have this cult. Classes turns into a sex cult. Mm-hmm. Allison Mack, former TV star on Smallville somehow ends up wrapped up in this and Mm -hmm. you're going to play her and she's a huge part of this story. She's one of the main people to bring people in. She's teaching these classes and she's, she's going to jail. She, I mean, she was in the the court case. She's probably going to jail. She, she's one of the most involved people in this. Yeah. Especially because I think she, she was so famous. People knew who she was. She had such a huge following that, yeah, she's kind of become the face of it. I mean, with Keith, for sure. So, I guess my first question is this: How do you how do you play this person without judging her? Oh man, I'll I'll say this: Like I, this is this was the hardest. This is probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do as an actor. I've been doing this for eleven years full time. I probably should. That's totally dating myself. Um, Just for some context, uh, we might actually get to it. But the last two things I've heard you doing are movies starring dogs. <laughs> What are the names of those? That's why there are dogs behind you right now. That's true. Uh, the last one that just came out was um, The Puppy Swap. Uh, or no, it was um, Love Unleashed. Puppy Swap. I had a, it had multiple ones. Love Unleashed, excuse me. I Which Margot Kidder was in. God rest her soul. Margot wow. Kidder was the first Lois Lane, you guys. How, that's out. actually kind of strange that that... Mm-hmm. We just tied that into more like Smallville. Smallville and, talk. Yeah. But so anyway, you've done a lot of these things that are more family-friendly entertainment. Mm-hmm. Now you're playing Allison Mack. You're going to end up branding people's bodies on television. Yes. How do you not judge her? Ooh, that's a great question. I think that any time as an actor you play a character... Um, I think you can't go into it with judgment because I think that to find the truth in any person, you have to see it from their perspective and you have to see what they are seeing and you have to try to understand why they made the choices they did. So I think anytime you get a script and you're like digging through it, it's like and you're playing a character, you're trying to see, you know, the all, like all the steps in the paths that that character makes, right? You're like, okay, I have to get from point A to point B. And to get there, there's a huge journey and a huge emotional arc that has to happen. And why is this character making those choices? And I think the writer has probably one idea, a director has one idea, as an actor has one idea. And then eventually, you know, all of those things sort of culminate into this one sort of trifecta of things. So I hear you on that. And I, I mean, that's all well and good to me. I, I, mm-hmm. I get the idea that like we're not supposed to judge him. And that's, 
that's that's what we're told. <laughs> that's what we're taught. Was that my very PC answer? <laughs> but that's the but the first scene of it. You're already teaching this shit. Yeah, you're in. You've, you're drinking the Kool Aid. Yeah. Um. And so I guess what I'm saying is like I I get well, intellectually. The... I can't judge them. I'm wondering practically. How did you? read what this person has done right. and not get influenced by I've got to be culty. I've got to sell, you know, I've basically got to be like Manson Light, you know? I mean, I think that anyone, and I don't know this for sure, but my guess from all the cult stuff I've read is that when you are fully involved in a cult, you're not, you don't think you're involved in a cult. So like you can't go into it with that headspace. You can't go into it and be like, I'm I'm in a cult and I'm going to bring people down. So that's the question. What do you think she thought she was doing? I think she, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for her, but I think that truthfully and honestly, I think she thought she was bringing awareness to people and love. And I think she thought she was doing good. I mean, everything I have read, I don't, I don't think, I don't think she, I, I think, I mean, I don't, I don't want to like pass judgment on who she is as a person because I think what she's going through right now has got to be a really wild traumatic situation and I can't even fathom it. And, and as somebody who's tried to read everything and, and do her story justice, I just wanted to like do her story justice. And, but I guess what I'm thinking is this, when you hear about people who often end up in cults, you are hearing about people who are lost souls. Rarely right. do they have a really good income, a following, adoration, right. a, a purpose. She I had think, all those things. And so what was she looking for in this? I think that like one of the things that has been the most interesting, which is something that like all of the actors discussed at length as we were all doing the movie, was that these were all successful somewhat wealthy I mean you had to have some certain amount of money or access to money in some ways uh women who were intelligent well-read schooled you know these aren't people who are necessarily they're they're struggling but like not struggling in like a traditional they you know they they had all these things going for them they were not people who were like down on their luck and who you know were sleeping on the streets you know they had a lot of opportunity and so why? I think that for all of us was a huge question. Why were these people so sucked in? And I think at the base of it, I think these people were all searching for something more in life. I think that they were all looking for soul searching. They were looking for a, a higher reason or whatever. And then I think that what happens is you start out there, but then, you know, like Allison was in it for over 12, I believe over 12 years. You know, when you start there, and then you, it's years of the same stuff and it's years of the same, you know, brainwashing or language or whatever. I think that eventually you don't even realize where you're at, if that makes sense. Like, I think that like when you're 10 years into it and, and that's all you know, and these are all the, and all the people you hang out with are all saying the same stuff. Think about this. Like, here's a question for you. If you hung out with a different group of friends than you're hanging out with now, maybe people who, I don't know, like this is the question that your parents say to you, right? When you're a kid, like if you're hanging out with bad kids, you know, who are doing drugs, are you going to, you're going to start doing drugs. And I think that there is something to be said about like whoever you're hanging out with, the, the energy of the group, you know, whatever I think influences you. I think that's true. But what's, so what's interesting to me when, so we, when you watch the movie, which she's great in, by the way, Thank let's you. not bury the lead on that. She crushes this part. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. Uh, 
the our, our vantage point into it. It's uh, what's her name, Catherine. Catherine Oxenberg. Yes. Yeah, so she's the mother who's trying to get her daughter out of it. Her daughter, India, right? And so mm-hmm. our entry into the movie is India and her mother, and India really when you're wondering like why why was this person getting sucked up into this cold i feel like what the movie's arguing is basically boredom and apathy i mean i think what's difficult is that the movie is you know an hour and a half two hours and that the the story if you read Catherine's book i believe it spans seven years so like we're talking about a very long period of time and also like Catherine's story is like one person's story where there are so many stories of nexium there are so many people who are involved in this there are so many different, you know, sides and factions. So I think that's also part of it too. Is like we're seeing, you know, um, this is Catherine's story, this is India's story, um, and and they're like one piece of of the pie of what Nexium is, if that makes sense. And so like for for India, I mean, you know, she was in it. I think for I think it was seven years. I think is what we sort of figured out. Sort of, it's I'm piecing all of the different parts together and stuff. So it's the movie makes it seem I think. They do a really good job of sort of like aging everything, but it's tough when you only have two hours when you really need like six episodes to be like, here's the full breadth of the story. Sure. Which is why you should read the book because the book has tons more information. But why why do you think she got pulled into it? Do you feel like my idea of just kind of uh, wealthy apathy is is right? Mm. Do you feel like she's looking for something more? Because well, I think there's a lot of factors why all of these well why all these wealthy people because in the Bronfman sisters who are the heiresses to the Seagram. Uh, uh, inheritance you know they they were part of it and I think that it was this I think that Keith had people around him who believed in him I think that he was had had, he had to have a magnetic personality I think he got lucky and made friends with people who are wealthy to a certain degree and then I think that it started to snowball it was like I mean the Dalai Lama came to speak at one of the Nexium um conferences i mean if the dalai lama shows up you're like oh shit like this guy knows his stuff right you know so so i think that there was there was like i mean he had a resume of like all these people who if somebody came to me and said hey you know what um there's this really cool like group i'm part of and oh guess what like meryl streep is is funding the whole thing and um you know, Robert Redford teaches all the classes. And like, if you, you know what I mean? If from our industry, like if you pulled all these people in that we respect and that we love, you go, oh, well, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, I want to pay $2,500 to learn this info, the secrets that they have, you know? So I think that like, you have to look at it as that too, that there was just this big, there was this, there was this big, bigger sort of outside sort of circle of people going yes yes this is it's an echo chamber and there's credibility indicators totally what was the first scene you shot the first scene i shot was the scene where we're walking in the park it was the first scene of the first day first scene of the whole movie we were walking in the park and i was uh selling india on the classes and it was a i think it was almost a three-page monologue Straight through. I mean, India says, I think she says like three sentences. We were joking about it. Jasper, who plays India, we were joking that she says like a handful of things. So it's your first day <laughs> on set. You are playing someone who is real. Mm-hmm. My guess is that there are people involved in this who know the real woman. I mean, yeah. I mean, Catherine was the e- is the EP, was the EP, still is the EP. So you're um, playing somebody that other people know. This mm-hmm. is a moment from their lives. Yeah. 
how much are you cognizant about that as you're shooting it and how much you're just thinking about a three-page monologue oh my god i'm it's all it's all i'm thinking about i think the thing that um like i'm not somebody who gets anxious as an actor like i'm look at a script i'm like sweet this is cool awesome i'm super stoked i mean not to say that i don't get nervous or whatever or have those you're things. not the most anxious human i know no 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 i think i don't i think having a toddler you just my energy just <laughs> so if you're nervous out there just have a baby <laughs> have a baby it's the fletcher <laughs> that's, method that's terrible to say because kids can make you more anxious too no, I I just was so I I mean playing a real person who's currently alive that is there's so much tape on there's so much video on there's so much to see of was incredibly um, difficult. Uh, Where did you start? I watched everything I could get my hands. I read everything I could get my just hands. On. A huge Smallville head. Not even Smallville. I mean, Smallville, she's playing a character. But no, but yeah, but she plays it. She plays a character. So like, it was like she, you know, vlogs that she had done, interviews that she had done. I mean, I like dove into the internet and I was like, So when you see that, are you trying to get a larger understanding of her? Are you trying to copy mannerisms? Are you trying to steal thoughts? All of it. Was there any touchstone you found early on? Like, ooh, this, this I can connect into. This mm. I want to steal. This is an expression she makes that I want to find a place for. Mm-hmm. Tell me about some of those. Um, so she talks with her hands a lot. I talk with my hands a lot. That felt really natural for me. So looking do- for the common ground. So, the yeah, absolutely. Looking for the common ground between the two of us. Um, she was just, she's so like, as far as like mannerisms go as like an actor like there's a lot of like smiling that's like really natural that like felt very like genuine with her and so I just tried to like attach to those sort of moments um so going back to what you asked before about like the first scene doing like a insane monologue I mean the that whole and then and then it's the walk and talk and then it was downhill and then there's and then there's a steady cam you gotta walk back up there's a steady and there was a steady cam operator so like you know your pace you still like as an actor if you've ever done a walk and talk and you're going downhill and there's a steady cam you have to like pace it and so we're you know we're pacing i'm and it's like the dialogue is like very much like um it's things she said so it's like all stuff i have to get exactly word perfect and yeah, it was a crazy. It was crazy to do that first. How much were you? And I was thinking about: Am I doing her mannerisms right? Am I? Do I need to like? There was a lot. It was a lot going on. My brain was working. I had drank a lot of coffee. <laughs> coffee, coffee, and toddlers. That's the Sarah Fletcher method. Actually, in Halifax, I drank a lot of beer too. <laughs> well, there you heard it. Wait, hold on. Speaking of, wait, wait hold on. I'm about wait to go. It. Wait, wait. Oh no. Oh yeah. That was that sound. <laughs> ASMR. This is called Campfire Stout, and it smells delicious. I'm Lumino Mexican style lager, and I drink too much at once. Oh, yep, there we go. There's oh, the no. reflux. No, we're fine. We're <laughs> do fine. you need some digestive enzymes? Because you know I have them. I'm sure you do. I'm sure <laughs> I you have. Do you need probiotics? I have lots of probiotics. We'll see where we get to. Um, <laughs> what was the hardest scene to shoot? The hardest scene to shoot? Yeah. Hmm. I had a. I had a day. I mean, I don't know. I think every scene had its had its. I think every scene for me was hard, not in a bad sense, just in like it was a huge challenge. So is the Uh, challenge kind of keeping up with the way that you want to portray her and mm -hmm. steal from her honestly, or did each one kind of have its own individual challenge? I mean, I think part of the challenge is that um, the movie is not Allison's story. So I, so like as far as like having an arc, like as an actor, when you go in, I always am like, okay, I'm, 
the lead in the movie or whatever, I'm going to have an emotional arc. And so trying to find the emotional arc for Allison in a story that's already happened, I think when you do like a biopic or, you know, any of that stuff, it's like, well, this is the stuff that already happened. So like having an emotional journey that has like a beginning, middle and end may not really exist because the person who the slice of their life you're taking may not have that, if that makes sense. Um, Functionally, she plays a very specific role in this story. She tell me if you disagree i feel like she's the enabler like she's already she's the way that we get india into this mm-hmm. she's definitely uh, it seems like she's in love with keith at least in the movie yeah um it seems like she's kind of taking care of him and making sure that all of those relationships are kind of greased and mm-hmm. easy so you yeah you seem like the one who's kind of the, the drug pusher yeah it seems yeah i mean yeah i hadn't thought about that but yeah i guess yeah um Here's a question. This is just a dumb one, but this is just for me. I feel like if I were playing somebody in a cult, I would be nervous that I would be making crazy eyes without trying to. Yeah, I mean, that was all part of it. I there mean, are all these like impulses that I feel like are utterly unhelpful to actually tell the truth, but then you're like, but I'm in a cult. I think that like the thing about any time somebody is playing like a character that other people see as, and, and I'm not talking about this character, but like so, at any sort of like unsavory moment. I think that if you play the unsavory moment as an actor, that's like, that's not, that's like as humans, like as humans, nobody's like, nobody's like, I cannot wait to be so evil. You know what I mean? That's not how we function as humans. People make shitty choices out of desperation, out of love, out of greed, out of like all these bigger sort of human emotions. And I think that like if you choose to play things crazy, if you choose to play things over the top or ang- like angry or or nuts or whatever, I think it all has to come from this place that we all understand. Otherwise, there's no humanity in it. Otherwise, you're just playing crazy. So Otherwise, what was the humanity you wanted to lock into? Is it a desire to help? I think that Allison is a lover. I think she loves. I think she loves really hard. I mean, this is me. This is me playing. This is me making a judgment on a human that currently exists, which I feel like a shithead for doing because I don't know how to like compart. I don't know how to like because like as an actor, you're like you're usually just like, oh, I'm playing this character that somebody wrote. Cool. Okay. You know. And your judgments are also choices. And if you didn't make any choices to play her, that would also be kind of disrespecting her. Totally. Right. I think that. I think truthfully, I think that she was somebody who loved greatly. And I think she loved greatly for a lot of people and a lot of things. And I think that love is a wonderful place to come from with anything, because I think that that's the thing that sort of supersedes everything in humanity. You know, when people fight for stuff, it's because they're passionate. It's because they love it. Even if the thing that they love is wrong, even if the the choice they're making is wrong. I mean, when we talk about like our political, we don't need to get political here, but like, you know, when you talk about people making, people who are like making really like, um, um, boy, this campfire sounds getting to my head. People are making, people are making really like. We're getting to it, guys. It's yeah. happening. Uh, like very extreme choices in their lives or like really, you know, extreme I don't know, political, blah, 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 blah. Good, good. Keep going, keep going. No, you're I, just, on it I think that like, I do think that, I think that, I think if you look at the heart of any time anybody has done something that has been really he, like monumental in all of humanity, that it probably stems from the fact that they feel very passionate about it, that they love it, that they, do you know what I mean? Like, See, I used to subscribe to that. And I would say that like the last few years has really is thrown that into a stark contrast of 
I don't know. I don't know. I, so. I think some people know they're doing the wrong thing and they fucking love it. And the, the doing of the wrong thing. Listen to what is, you just said is that they love it. But they know they're hurting people. They know it's wrong. And I think a lot of times we say, no, it comes from that. It's this, it's this desire to please. Or, and I do think that's oh, true no. for a lot of people. I think it's a desire. It's a love of something. And it can be a love of something bad. But I think it's that there's a passion well, so for something. Tell me, it's, do you think she knew she was doing something bad? No. Okay, so that's the thing I'm getting at. Where no, I and that's my question about a lot of these people is where that line is. And to me, figuring that out would be a really important part of playing that character. Here's a yeah. question in the prep: What did you do that didn't help? What was a waste of time? <laughs> Being in my head. I'm not an actor who's in my head. Like I'm usually somebody who like I've been doing this for long enough. I've been blessed enough to have enough experience that like I feel like I usually get a role and I go, okay, all right, cool. These are the choices I'm going to make. And then I feel like I talk to the director. I talk to the writer. I talk to whatever. I, you know, I, I, I do my due diligence. I talk to everybody. And then I can usually go, okay, I feel good about these choices. These are the choices I made. And then I'm, ho- I'm open to being directed. I'm open to, you know, people giving me input. I'm totally like, yeah, cool. Like I'm in. Like it's not about me. It's about the work. And, so, and this felt, but this felt very different. It felt very like personal, I think because, I mean, because I used, I, I had seen her previously. I knew who she was and she, you know, was this vibrant young starlet who I really thought had this amazing gift and talent. And so I just was like, oh my God, this, this could be any one of my friends, you know? So I just, that really hit home for me. So I was really in my head a lot about it. I'm called home a lot to just be like, babe, I'm in my head today and I can't get out of my own way. I got to get out of my way. And, and that's a weird place for me to be. I've, I haven't been there before. Um, so that was really unsettling, but I think in some ways it was good. Cause I think it just realized that like I'm up for the challenge and that I enjoyed the challenge. Of what it. was it that got you in your head? I think wanting to do the story, I think that if it had been a story that had had a really positive outcome, it would have been a very different place. But like nobody wins in this situation. Nobody's winning. I mean, there are so many people's lives who have been affected so negatively because of it. And so the story, the information was so heavy and just reading about it every day, reading about all the information about all the things that happened to all the people, not just Allison's story, not just India's story, but like Sarah Edmondson's story, um, you know, Lauren Saltzman's story, like all of these women who were involved. And I think also coming from somebody who's a, a woman in the industry, you're just, and like, you know, all the female Me Too movement and all that stuff that's going on, you're just like, oh my God, like how did this happen to all of these women? Like how did all of these women get so involved and so, how? That was a question I ask every day. How did this happen? How did this happen? Do you feel like you have an answer? Hmm. I think I have an answer that I finally like satisfied myself with, which was, I think that it was people searching a long enough amount of time, people being groomed. Because, you know, to get far enough in the classes, you had to continue to buy into the to the prophecy that he was sh- giving. So if you're not buying into it, you're not going to raise in the ranks. Okay. I want to switch gears a little bit. Yeah, let's do so it. So you basically hinted that you, as an actress, don't get in your head that much. I work with actors pretty much every single day of my life. Most of my friends are actors. I'm married to an actor. I, I actors everywhere. Uh-huh. I, I, all of them are in their head. 
I mean, let me say this. I, that, that makes me sound like I'm like some sort of... No, but I do think there is something different about you. I think there's a little less oh. stress about your career than a lot of people have. You are not uh, wringing your hands about auditions or you can't your see agent. Me. Now, <laughs> now you're like, Mr. Burns, <laughs> Jesus. Um, but I, there is something I feel like that's different in the way you interact with your career. And I think you know it a little bit. I, I want you to talk about it. I want you to talk about it. And I'm not saying it's better and I'm saying it's worse. I'm just saying that there is... It is a thing. Well, and you don't tend to be where a lot of actors are. A lot of people are in acting class every week. The time I've known you, you've never been in the class. Um, you seem to get most of your auditions for yourself even though you're wrapped. There, mm-hmm. is a, there is a side hustle that seems like you do in your career to get a lot of your opportunities that just doesn't seem like you're going to the same well as a lot of people where other people are at their acting class and a casting director workshop. Where are you? Um, I am in a cave and I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm not in a cave. That was like a joke that I was going to try to do, but it just failed miserably. I'm oh, wow. actually right now I'm in an office with a bunch of fake birds. <laughs> it's true. They're on our mics. They're on our mics. There's a bunch of fake birds in my office. Um, I don't know why there's fake birds in my office, but I feel good about them. Uh, yeah, I, you know what? It's funny. When I first moved out here to LA, my intention was not to be an actor. I did not know you could make a living as an actor. I just thought that you were either an A-lister or like there were like a handful of people that were in commercials and TV things. I didn't know you could do that. Um, so in some ways I got lucky because I was like, oh, well, I'm going to be a sign language interpreter and then I'll do theater for the deaf. And so I got a degree in theater, got a degree in sign language interpreting. I interpreted for about a year. Through that period of time, I started to see, I became a shoe model, and then I booked a bunch of Payless commercials. <laughs> this is like really crazy, because I was a foot model, and I was like, wait, there are people making money doing this? Hold on, record scratch. What? And then I started auditioning, and it wasn't because I found an agent. It was because people were like, oh, are you on LA Casting? Oh, are you on Actors Access? Well, have you looked at um, Craigslist? And so I just started digging, and I was like, oh, wait hold on, there are these things called breakdowns that I can go and submit myself. I can just do this. Like I can basically just go to submit my resume for jobs like you would do on monster.com or whatever. Monster.com is not supporting the show, but not they should. a sponsor. <laughs> but they should be. If they want to call me, <laughs> industrytownpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> I really wish your... I really wish your email was something really weird. If your email was going to be something really weird for this, what would it be? It would be... Um, between two beers, honk honk haha at gmail.com. <laughs> I feel like honk honk haha feels like I shouldn't say this. <laughs> Use your imagination, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, what are we talking about? What's happening? You're skating by on this. I want to know more. Which okay, is like, okay. How do you run your career? Because okay, a lot so of basically people do I... wait for their agent to tell them when to audition yeah. and their acting teacher to tell them when to prepare a scene. And I don't, you don't do that. I don't do that. And okay, I, so, so I, I, think it, I think it started because I was like, wait, okay, hold on. I can make a living doing this? Like, how am I going to do that? And nobody, I didn't, it, at our school for theater, nobody told me how to get an agent. I didn't have any of this information. Where was school for theater? Uh, Indiana University, which is a great program. I don't want to negate that, but it was a theater program. It wasn't trying to teach you making a living in Los Angeles as a TV film actor. Correct. Exactly. So I just started submitting myself and, and then I started booking stuff and then I would meet people 
and I'd be like, oh, this is a cool person. And then they'd be like, hey, you should check this out. Or You are very good at the first impression, making people feel comfortable to talk to you. That I do think is a superpower for you. I think figuring out what people's superpowers are often have a lot to do with Mm. their success. And some of it is cultivated and really well earned. And some of it is just who you fucking are. I'm really good at blindsiding people. They don't realize how crazy I am. Until That's like true. several dates in. You do present <laughs> normal, which is actually why Allison Mack is great casting for you, though. I, I mean that. So are you really telling me that you are the lead of these dog movies and you're in Escaping <laughs> Nexium because you just submit on Actors Access? Well, kind of. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I hate to say that, but that sounds insane. But basically, for the last 11 years, I have been submitting myself every single day. I mean, I don't want to say every day because like there are days I miss, like I go on vacation or I like shit happens or whatever life is going on um, and I'm not able to. But yeah, I have been submitting for the last 11 years. I And I, there was a period of time where I didn't have any reps, so I submitted on everything. And I mean like now casting Kaz, to remember when Kaz, C-A-Z-T mm-hmm. was a thing for a while. Um, God rest in peace. Uh Actors Access, LA Casting, um, now Casting, now IMDb. Uh, IMDb, used, it just used to be their message boards, but now they have IMDb Pro. You can go and they do submissions now. Um, I looked on Craigslist. When was the last time you submitted yourself? Oh. We were just on vacation. Yesterday? Yesterday. Yesterday in the car, I was submitting myself. In the car. In the car, driving, yeah, because Actors Access came out with an app. Thank God, finally. Uh so yeah, and then I started getting reps and the reps would be like, okay, you really can't. We're submitting you, so like you need to stop. And I'm like, yeah, but the breakdowns you're submitting me on are going to be bigger. And I've and and at this and when I finally got some reps, I was um I I I like had I had been working and I'd been making some money. And it wasn't big money and it wasn't like enough money cuz I was still sort of like half I sort of like had like some act, some um, interpreting stuff happening, and then I and then I just and then I got very lucky in that I was asked to come and audition for a hosting job, and the hosting job uh, was for a show called Movie Mob, and I had done the pilot for like a friend of a friend, and the pilot was to play a contestant in it, and they were like we're replacing the host, will you come audition? I'm like yeah, I've never done hosting stuff, but it's just talking, and I like to talk. Obviously, I'm so sorry. And uh, I showed up in a green turtleneck, and it was a green screen audition. <laughs> and they, and they, and I, and I got the job. And so I became a TV host on this like small TV channel called the Reels Channel. For and I, it was a year. We did fifty episodes. Wow. Yeah, and so I had that year to really like hit it hard and get reps and stuff. And um, I just was like, look, you know, reps would be like, please don't submit. And I'd be like, I look, I appreciate you saying that, but like, I have to make a living. Like, I have to eat. So, like, I have to submit. And I've, there's been many reps I've had who have been like, Sarah, what'd you, why'd you submit for this $200 job? But I'll tell you what. You do a $200 job here. You do a $250 job here. You do a $500 job here. Maybe your rep's only making 50 bucks, but guess what? 200 here, 100 here, 125 here. Oh, that random SAG ultra low budget project that you did that was 125 a day and you only did four days on it. Oh, guess what? That director calls you three years later and is like, hey, come do this other thing. So like, I think that like just saying yes to all of it and just trying to figure out the schedule, I was able to make a living from a from a from an early start, and then keeping up with people and just being like, 
you know, and just and just having genuine connections with people and just, you know, keeping in contact with people who you really like as people because you're like, I really like you and I really like working with you. It doesn't have to be like a, oh, it doesn't have to be like a thing. You know, like networking is like, do you market? Know, so gross. Um, do you market yourself? Do you send out postcards? Do you send out emails? Do you, mm-hmm. how do you do that? How do you stay in touch with people? I mean, at one point, I think I, at one point, I had to, oh my God, like years ago, I was like, I didn't have a rep and I was like, I really should have a rep because now I'm, there were, there were situations where I was getting contracts and I was like, I really need someone to look at this. So I remember I sent out a bunch of headshots, I sent out like 50 or 60 and I had like two people contact me and one was like some guy who had this agency and he was like, he was pretty ancient. I don't even know what agency it was, but he was like in this weird musty building and he was like, I don't know. It was just like a really weird situation. I was like, what am I doing? This is not, this doesn't make sense to me. Just like blindly submitting to these people doesn't make sense to me. Like when you think about any job, this is the way I also think of it too. When you think about any job that you get, not an actor, how do you get that job? You get that job. Not because you. Usually you know somebody. Exactly. So I feel like I just you know, would say yes to, I would just say yes to everything. I mean, prior to having a kid, if somebody was like, do you want to do something for free? Up until a certain point, I was like, yes. If it's not like a total time suck, absolutely. And if it's something I'm really interested in and I really want to do and it's cool, then yes. Heck yeah, I'm going to say yes to it. Would you only meet these people at auditions though? Because it does seem like to actually build that friendship, to build that relationship outside of a specific job context and Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to come in, you're going to read these pages, you're going to go. Where did you feel like you actually got to create a relationship with them? Um, I mean, it would be like saying yes to like weird free stuff on Craigslist. Uh, and then like working with people in, in free fashion, you know what I mean? And then, and then building on those relations, building on those relationships, keeping those relationships up. Um, that sounds douchey. So like, douchey like keeping those relationships up but i mean like in the sense that like you know you meet anybody you like i'm like oh you wouldn't you just want to be but here's part of the interesting thing i feel when i think about you is when you say keep those relationships up you you do things like clothing swap you yeah like everyone you know is a part of that or at least seems like that from the outside you started creating your own content it seems like a long time ago which means you all of a sudden are not just a job seeker but you're a job giver all of a sudden and all of a sudden you need a dp you need a director (laughs) and that's a way to keep people in your life it's also a way to not always be the beta in a relationship not that it's calculated that way but I do think all of a sudden, oh, this person can be my boss. This person can be my employee. They can be my peer and my collaborator. That's going to create a different dynamic than someone who the only reason you know them is because they show up on the Fox lot and they're really hoping you're going to give them that co-star. You know, that's funny you say that. I guess that's true. I will say one thing is like I always try to be helpful with connecting other people because I do feel like for me that was something in my career that like has been really helpful is that anytime something has happened, people have always been like, hey, you should hire Sarah like people have said like oh hire Sarah so I feel like there have been times where friends have come to me and said hey do you know anybody who can do x y or z I'm like yes I will go dig and I will go find you this person because I know I've worked with somebody cool who you need so I do feel like that is something that I try to do to help people out and I'm talking about like anybody like some I've had friends call me and be like yo I need more women and I need more sound women I need women who do sound I'm like great I've worked with several women who do sound let me find you their contact info I worked with this one chick on this one project. I worked with this other chick on this other project. So I try to like, I think that that's important because I think that like when you work with somebody you really like who's just a cool person, I think it's 
good to just, I don't know, pay it back because they're just nice people. I I feel like I'm not giving you, I feel like my answers are like, so like, yeah, you know, I just, I don't know, I just kind of like did a thing. I think it's also like you have, I guess, I guess I maybe to be more specific, it's like this. I, you have, you have, you got to do right by you. Like everybody in this industry has got different ideas and they're, everybody's going to give you advice and everybody in this industry is going to be like, you should do this. This is how you should do it. And you have to go this way. And I think that to get to the big kids table, I think that there's like a million ways to get there. And I think that maybe you'll never get there, but that's part of the fun. Well, it better be part of the fun or else you're probably not going to get there. Go home. To, to wit, to put this all in perspective, mm-hmm. how do you and I know each other? We, well, we worked together. We did work together, right? That was, 100%. The, that was the first way mm-hmm. that we met. And I feel like that's the Sarah Fletcher story mm-hmm. right there, which is you worked with these people that connected you to these people, which these people became your friends. These people became your next collaborators, yeah. et, cetera, et cetera. And that pool just grows and grows. The more people you make a good impression with and the more people who enjoy working with you. That's it's like a bad STD. It's Sarah Fletcher. It's a bad <laughs> STD. It's like an STD you don't want. You just like, you keep just spreading it around. It sounds like the one you do want, actually, weirdly. You know, it's it's like I'm an STD you want. <laughs> the STD you need. It's the, yep. Mm-hmm. Mm, that was good. We I really was going to, that one. I was going to like, I was like, it's the. This is for mature audiences. Sarah, it says so on iTunes. The disease. So good, good, good. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll kind of figure out a better Sarah drop theatrical in. disease. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> These no, no, no. are terrible. Yeah, it's off the rails. It's off the uh, rails. Wait, so um, if I, you if you had to give a piece of advice to any actor who's listening right now, who feels like they are uh, they hmm. don't know how to start a career, I think you're right. I think it's creating a web of it's creating an STD that you can spread around. <laughs> That's the worst <laughs> advice I've ever heard. Um, I think I think that you shouldn't be afraid to take ownership of your own business. I think people are scared of reps. I think people are scared of teachers. I think people are scared of photographers. I think people are scared of directors. I think what happens is when you come into this business, people um, come in with their come in with an ego that they're like attached to their work. Okay, here's a piece of advice. This is what I learned when I was in sign language school. Cindy Herbst, who is my Cindy Herbst, we were just talking about STDs earlier. I'm <laughs> right, sorry. Cindy Herbst. She was a teacher of mine, and she was amazing. And she said this. She said two things. Two bits of advice that as an interpreter, I still think about to this day as an actor. It's not about you. It's about the work. Meaning, leave your fucking ego at the door. It's not about you. And it's okay that it's not about you. You are putting forth work. If a painter paints a painting, people look at the painting and they go, okay, well, this like this didn't work and this didn't work and this didn't work. And the painter hopefully doesn't go home and cry and go, oh. You know what I mean? If you're a teacher and you're not an effective teacher... It's like, well, it's the way you're teaching. Like, you got to manipulate stuff. So it's not about you as a human. It's not about you. And I think as an actor, people think that it's about you because you are the person who's doing it. Well, also, so. actors tend to identify with their profession more than almost anyone. It's, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm an actor. That's It's equal to totally. me. And my happiness lives or dies by it. My success as a human lives or dies totally. by it. Totally. So that must mean that you seem to get happiness and fulfillment in other places. Yes. Where? So, well, okay, so wait, hold on. Two bits of advice. One, it's not about you, it's about the work. And the other thing is you have to look at your work as this. She always would say this when we would do an interpretation. Because as an interpreter, you are... There's a performance of it. Totally. You're embodying something. You're embodying communication. Absolutely. 
And she would say, it's not good or bad. It's successful or unsuccessful. You either successfully interpreted the information or you unsuccessfully this interpreted I the love. information. This I love. This is actually something that I feel like I've not gotten to talk to enough people about, which is, you know, I, I teach and yeah. and I see a lot of actors and it, it really has started to strike me how we talk about this work is, was it, was it good? Was it's, it good or was it bad? Was it great? Yeah. And that, and I do this too. I am not trying to say that I am different from this. I am fully victim to this. But if it's not great, mm-hmm. then somehow I've failed. And the expectation is I've got to start there. And that if I show my work to anybody, mm-hmm. there's an expectation on their end that they have to say something like that. And there's no other job on the fucking planet like that. You right. see a play and you even think it's fine, but not great. What you're going to say to those people is, that was great. Right, we people lie about this shit all the time. Yeah, and the base level of doing a good job is perfection, and I think it fucks people in a yes. horrific way. And I think we all need to take a big step back from that. I 100% agree. I always look at my work and I'm like, was it successful or unsuccessful? Did I fulfill the element of the story that needed to be fulfilled? Did I help tell the journey of the actor or the character that I'm playing or whatever? You know, or was it unsuccessful? And then it's not about me. It's about the work. These are like two things that I think actually are really, really key to to for helping me be a sane human as an actor. So I wanted to ask you, I started this earlier oh, yeah. and I want to follow this up. Yes. I feel like it's all attached. Where else do you get fulfillment that's not from acting? Um, I get fulfillment from beer. Beer. <laughs> Um, no, um, you know what? I really like people. I think something I've really realized about, um, doing this profession is I like people a lot. And, um, when I was a kid and we'd be driving in the car cause we would take road trips everywhere. I remember we'd drive by, you know, all these houses and stuff. And I would always wonder about people in the houses and what they were doing and were they happy? Were they unhappy? What were they, what were their lives like? What did they look like? I don't know. You know, as a kid, I remember thinking this a lot. And I think that now as an adult, I just like meeting people and hearing their stories. And so for me, I feel like even if a job is not like a high level job, you know, because people are like, well, you know, I've had people say things to me like, well, isn't that kind of like beneath you right now? Which is sucks because I don't think any job is beneath me. Like I think that when a lawyer takes a pro bono case, people say good for you. That's a good thing. They don't say the fuck is wrong with you. Yeah. But even then it's like, why can't it just all be like, experience like isn't aren't we just like i'm gonna get too heady here are we just like all on this planet to just like have fucking good experiences in our lives aren't we all just people man yeah but for real though like i mean at the end of the day like if you're an actor if you're doing this aren't you doing this because you like learning about characters which means you like learning about people so like i love i love being on set i love meeting new people i love hearing their stories i like learning about I don't know, other people's cultures and where they come from, like why somebody does something. Because I think that the only way that as humans we can have sympathy for other people is by figuring out why they did the things they did and and how. And But if I also can jump in, I think you get fulfillment from way more than just that because that still mm-hmm. feels limited to acting or being on set. You are a photographer. You put together... 
you run an Airbnb that has a real like style to it and it seems like you enjoyed putting that thing together. Yeah. You I have you a jewelry are company now. You you are you run a jewelry company, you host mm. things on Facebook Watch, you have produced, you uh you shoot headshots and, and filmed you do a billion different things that are creative and it seems like they all give you some purpose. I love how you remind me of who I am as a person because I'm like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah, you're right. I do do those things. <laughs> but I, I really honestly think that the mark of a lot of people who are successful is that they are getting their fulfillment from things that are not just their job. 100. So last year, I had a real shit year. <laughs> real garbage year. And uh, just a lot of garbage things happened, like like tornadoes and like <laughs> broken arms and like just like that and then like just like shit stuff. And... Um, <laughs> Those are pretty bad things, right? Yep. Uh, and just a lot of like personal stuff. And I was like, what am I doing? I've been doing this for a long time. And I was like, am I, why, why am I doing this? And the big conclusion I came to was, I just like to make stuff. I like to make stuff. I like to create stuff. And then I worked with this kid who was super cool. And we all like had this really rad conversation and we had all traveled together for this job. And he was like, I don't know, he like told this like really passionate story about how he was had been homeless and he had an, he was an addict and he had been through like this crazy traumatic shit and he went to go see a therapist and the therapist was like, You don't need to see me and he was like, What? And the therapist was like, You're an artist. You need to go make shit. And I was like, Yeah, dude. I'm like, that's it. Like if you're somebody who's creative, you gotta make stuff. So like if Look, if you're not getting auditions, if you're not getting in the door for stuff, like it's cool. Go make stuff in whatever capacity that is. It doesn't have to be a short. It can be jewelry. It can be... It can be anything. And I feel like when you start to create anything, anything, even if... And, and who cares if anybody sees it? Like painters or artists, like artists like who are like sculpting or whatever. A lot of times I feel like those types of artists are people who are like, I'm just going to do this because I love it. You know what I mean? I mean, look at, I mean, George W. Bush, let's look at his art for a minute, okay? Like, he made bathtub art. And I'm not saying his art's bad. I'm not on past judgment. But, like, he didn't make it with the intention for people to see it. He was the president. He had all these other things. He was doing it because he loved it. Because it was something that brought him joy. And I think that when look you... Jim Carrey painting now. Oh, well, he's a phenomenal painter, though. He is a phenomenal I mean, like, <laughs> Jim Carrey yeah. can just... But, like, Jim Carrey has all these things that he's passionate about in his life. And if you haven't heard any of his speeches, he gives incredible speeches and they're super fulfilling. So go listen to his shit. Um, I like how that's the thing you seem the most behind this whole podcast is <laughs> find Carrey. a Jim Carrey speech. That's right. Find a Jim Carrey speech. No, I just think I think if you just find something in your life that brings you passion, find other things in your life. Oh, God, I'm getting poured more beer that bring you passion. And I think that when you start to find fulfillment in other stuff. I do think that as an actor, though, then some of the acting stuff starts to line up because it's not the sole focus of your life. Did that, I, did, that was a I, roundabout no, answer. I love that. I, so I feel like for, you know, we're all millennials, millennials, et yeah. cetera. We're part of I'm this generation a, that, that loves talking about like, I play a millennial. I'm not a millennial. What are you? <laughs> I'm a millennial. It's where, I mean, Zillennial, I'm sorry. Zillennial is just a thin slicing of millennial. For all those we casting directors, for all those. Special, okay? <laughs> I, we're in the same group. My point is this we're part of a generation that loves talking about the arrested development, you know, that we took mm -hmm. longer to get to things. And I think a lot of people think it's an excuse or an invitation 
to fuck off for an extra decade. And I think everyone has the right to do it. But I think getting stuck in your life without forward momentum will kill your acting career because you're not making anything. You're not making steps forward. You're reliving old patterns for sometimes like five, ten years at a time. Yeah. And it's only in that moment. It's like lots of people when they have a kid, they find that their career gets a, a nice jump forward. They, mm-hmm. get, they get rid of the shit job they didn't like and they find one that they actually do like thinking it's going to take them away from acting forever and all of a sudden they're better than they've ever been before. Right. And I think it's like when you actually just make a choice to do something, to have forward momentum, to be someone who is in action. Totally. The rest of it starts to fall into line. She's just burping off I'm mic right so now. so sorry. I'm monologuing because I'm covering <laughs> for just, just a big burp incident. <laughs> <laughs> That was so good. I wish I could burp like that. Mine are just like small and smelly, just like me. Small Small and smelly. smelly. (laughs) Sarah, the STD. Uh, Um, I can't wait to infect all of you. With her wisdom. Mm, I do think you're right. I think that I, I think that, yep, that's it. (laughs) Uh, You are right, Brian Norris. That's all I want to hear all the time. Um, I do think make, I think when you find joy in passion in other things that you are creating a human you know what I mean that's a big crafting project I always joke though Lachlan was my who's my son crafts project who's my biggest ca- crafting project I've ever done <laughs> I craft it took me nine months it was a lot of hard work <laughs> and, it continued. and sometimes it's covered in shit and sometimes it's covered in shit um, no I think you have to I think the more you make and create as an as a artist in general, I mean that sounds so douchey when I'm like, oh, I'm an artist, but I'm an artist. <laughs> but before we go, uh, quickly, anything to plug? Yes. Okay, you can still watch uh, "Escaping the Next Game Cult: A Mother's Fight to Save Her Daughter" on Lifetime. That is on Lifetime. Go check it out. Do they have a streaming service? They do. You can stream through Hulu's uh, live TV function, um, or you can stream through the Lifetime app if you have other digital cable means to then get that app I believe is my understanding uh I'm going to be hosting a show on Mav TV now yes that is the about um imported uh drag racing I know do you know anything about drag racing (laughs) very little You'll learn. <laughs> Very little. Actually, it's really interesting. I just did our first episode and I'm super excited about it. Um, and Mav TV is a really cool channel. And so I'm really excited to be hosting a show for them. Yeah. Um, it, right now it is titled Import Showdown, but I believe the title maybe could change. I don't know. It's a working title. Great. So we're watching uh, Escape from the Next Team Colt. Yes. We are going to check you out on Mav TV. Anything else to plug? Uh, I Instagram? have Instagram. Yes. Follow me on Instagram. Um, at Sarah, S A R A, no H. I don't know why we have H's on our names. Ladies who have H's. I'm so sorry that you have an extra letter that you don't really need. Put that letter back in the alphabet. Thank you very much. It's Sarah E R Fletcher. Sarah, no H. And if people want to check out your jewelry. Oh yes. Um, you can find me on Etsy at clout and capital all together. Clout. And all this will be in the show capital. notes. So yes. If you- don't understand the spelling based on uh, our drunken pronunciation. <laughs> Check out the show notes. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Thank where can people, Brian. Brian, where can people find you? Where can people find me? They can find me at the Ginger Mr. MR. Ooh. Right? You can also find Industry Town Podcast on Instagram, Industry Town Pod on Twitter, because they don't allow for all the characters for podcasts. Twitter, get on it. 
Figured out Twitter. Seriously, you doubled the amount for tweets. You can make the names longer. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, you can also. What's your personal address? My <laughs> personal home. Where address. can people find you? <laughs> this is terrifying. <laughs> anyway, subscribe to the fucking podcast. <laughs> I think that's the place to end it on. So uh, while you guys all hear the outro music play, we are going to chug the rest of our beers. Oh, Thank God. you, Sarah Fletcher. And in three, two, two one. one. I don't want to chug it. It's too dry. I'm done. Thank you so much for listening. Please, uh, if you haven't already, subscribe, give us a review, tell your friends. Industry Town is now on Spotify, YouTube, Podbean, Google Play, SoundCloud, iTunes. Ah, we're everywhere. Um, also, if you want to get in touch with the show, please email us. The email address is industrytownpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, lastly, uh, don't forget to tag this episode on the old social medias, both Instagram and Twitter, and get your free copy of Horrible Haikus if you were one of the first five. Thank you again to John Rosenfeld Studios. Thank you again to Sarah, and we'll be back with another episode on Monday. <laughs>